This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm Randy Moore. And I'm Andy Payton. Pastor Andy, doesn't it seem like these Wednesdays, uh, we're recording on a Wednesday, that these Wednesdays uh, come around pretty fast each week? They do. They sneak up on us, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're just like Sundays now. But uh, I enjoy our time together. I mean, we go in different directions a lot of the times, meet on Sunday morning, do our thing there. But I've come to really cherish this, this time together with you and with those who are listening to us. I think of almost like a small group meeting where you and I gather together and reflect on what God has shown us and is showing us as we go through these conversations. We've talked about this before, but we get a lot out of this because we put a lot into it. I'm not saying that to pat you on the back or me on the back, but that's just the way it works. And for us to be encouragers of that kind of discipline is part of our job. The fortunate thing for us, it is our job. You know, it's not an option uh, for us. But if others, and I I talk to my Sunday school class about this a lot, it's like, if you you put as much time into this as I put into it, you'd find yourself getting a lot lot out of it. Not as a a way to scold or anything, but it's just what I've discovered about what I learn through sermon preparation or preparing for a Sunday school class. Oh, yeah. Um, you, you and I have often said to one another, we get more out of it than anyone else because we have to dial into a subject and an idea and we learn all kinds of different things. And then the trick becomes how to distill that into a 20, 25 minute sermon on a Sunday morning. And of course, we can't fit everything into that. And one of the nice things about these conversations is we can kind of take off like side roads and, and think about things. Also, um, and I'm sure you're aware of this too, Randy, like Statistics have shown and studies have shown that sharing what you've learned with other people really helps it to stick. It really helps it to become a part of you because you're balancing that off with someone else. They're sharing their experiences. You're sharing your experiences. And and together, um, as we've often said in Christian tradition, God speaks to us through community together. God speaks through that interaction. Yeah, and this is part of our processing. And so we're including the listeners in this processing so that it does stick. And that's so important. Yeah, and I mean, anybody listening to this and thinking about the spiritual journey, one thing I will just encourage you to to think through is that it's not, the journey is not ever done in isolation. The, the spirit that we're talking about, the God that we're talking about, always calls us into relationship. And you, and you really get stuck in the journey if you think it's just about you and your relationship with God. And certainly there's a component of that idea that's true, but it's more like you and our relationship with God, you relate to others as you relate to God as well. Yeah. So we've been doing this for a couple of months now. So for those who might be just joining us for the first time, what we do here is we essentially take a look back at last Sunday, the sermon that was preached on that Sunday, dig deeper into that, expand on that, ask questions about that. And then we look forward to the next sermon the following Sunday to get as a way to prepare for it. That sort of preparation also helps uh, when we arrive on a Sunday morning. But uh, it just so happens that we're doing something different. You've not been preaching on the lectionary lessons, or and you've not been preaching topically, unless we want to call these articles a topic, which I suppose it is. But you have been preaching on the 25 Articles of Religion 
um, in the Methodist Church. And so just an, once again, just a, a brief description of what those are. Yeah, um, so the 25 Articles of Religion um, were John Wesley's doctrinal standards that he gave to the Methodist in the 1700s. And uh, basically, uh, just to use an analogy, they're like guardrails in which we um, have language and ideas to think through what our relationship with God is like today. And so these kind of are meant to be like a map to point us into that sacred quest, that sacred journey that we're all really looking for. They're almost creedal. I mean, we're familiar, most of us are familiar with the Nicene Creed and the other creeds of the church, the Apostles' Creed, um, related to the creeds. Yeah, they, I mean, the language of these articles, um, they do find a home in the classical creeds of Christianity. Um, but I think they're helpful in the sense is that they break it all down. And, and what emerges as you kind of think through these articles is like, um, there's like a formational piece to it. Like every article builds on the former article, leads into the next article. And as we walk through it, what you find is, oh, like there's meaning and purpose. And these articles take me somewhere when it comes to my own walk with God. They, they paint a picture about what that transformation and journey with God is meant to look like. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that we always ask each other before we get started on this, we started by asking, how is it with your soul? You did a little deeper dig on that, deeper dive, and found that, it, that the question is, how is it that your soul prospers? And so that's uh, it's a similar question, but it's a bit of a nuanced question uh, uh, other than the one we were asking before. And so what is it that prospers your soul this week? Um, well, the thing that I guess is really hitting home for me right now is the conversation we just had before this conversation, <laughs> Randy. I mean, we primed the pump as, yeah. we, as we got to talking about this series and our podcast today. And I don't know, I just feel inspired about what we're doing here, and I have a sense that coming up with a updated software when it comes to our Wesleyan theology is important and it's meaningful, and I, I guess the thing that's it's prospering my soul, to use that language, would be like, we have something to offer here that's good and is helpful for folks. Um, at least it's been very helpful for us. Yeah. For me, um, uh, I have been here since last July. What is this, September? So yes, um, this is my first wedding is coming up. And so I've been meeting with this couple and uh, I haven't done a wedding for a while. And just to sit with two people who are in love and who are so excited about their lives together and about making that wedding you know, just perfect for, uh, for them, um, that's prospered my soul, I think. That's been a good experience and I'm, and I'm looking forward to that. And I, and I always do uh, enjoy that. Okay, um, what we wanna do this time, because we are already up to the ninth article, we thought we ought to do a bit of a review, not to dig back in and do a deep dive on each one of these, but to do a kind of a lightning round on these 25 articles. And that would catch up our audience as well. As you said, they're, they're related. So here we go. Uh, we'll start with article number one, which is faith in the Holy Trinity. So uh, for me, what that points to is we as Christians believe in an incarnational God, which means that we hold an incarnational worldview. Everything we see around us, the universe and all creation, is a manifestation of the outpouring of God's love. That's, for me, what the Trinity, part of what it points to. And not only that, 
it reminds us that behind the scenes of this world is a loving God, and this world and creation itself is moving with intent and working for our well-being. Article number two, of the Word, or Son of God, who is made very man. Yeah, um, Jesus is everything we can understand about God in human form. He embodies what the spiritual journey looks like. Article three, of the resurrection of Christ. Um, The big event of Jesus's life was he rose again from the dead. Um, That's not as much about us just going to heaven one day after we die. That is a statement, a judgment, um, a proclamation that God's love is greater than death. God's life is greater than evil. Um, God's love is greater than hate. And so that moment tells us that Jesus points to a power greater than ourselves. Article 5, of the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation. You forgot the Holy Spirit, uh, Randy. Oops, I missed one. Of the Holy Ghost. I can't, I can't get one past you. Oh, we, well, <laughs> I've been working on this, and I can't forget these. Are, there's like a tattoo on my mind now. Um, so, but call it the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. I'm sorry. So... God is much more, religion is much more than some moralistic code or set of rules. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, God is a someone, not a something. And um, as I think about the Holy Spirit and what that means for us today is a helpful way to think about God is reality with personality. Um, This world around us as a manifestation of God, um, behind it is also a God that wants to interact with us. And I would say the Holy Spirit permeates all of these, I mean, from the very beginning of these. And so it just appears here in Article 4. Article 5 now, of the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation. So we all need language and terminology when it comes to articulating our relationship with God. And for us as Christians, the sacred text, the Bible for us, um, gives us that language to be able to come together in community, talk about what our relationship with God is like. Article 6 of the Old Testament. The tendency of all religious people is to think that our religion is better than other people's religions. And um, what this article reminds us is that Christ can be found in the Old Testament, just as Christ can be found in other people. And certainly Christ can also be seen in other expressions of faith. And what I mean by Christ here is we are looking for expressions of Christ-like love. Article 7 of original or birth sin. We struggle to live into the love that God has created us for, and uh, sin more than a conscious act. Sin singular is like a wariness of the other, a wariness of those who are different, and it really comes about as a result of our loss of connection with the greater whole. And Article 8 of Free Will. So God goes looking for us before we go looking for God. In the midst of our wariness of sin, God meets us and invites us to a bigger life and a bigger love. And often, um, prevenient grace is what we call it, is experienced as a yearning for more. All right. Prevenient grace, a a big word that arises out of that topic of free will. Uh, Ding, 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 ding. I think you passed, uh, Pastor Andy. Nice job. Well, thank you, Randy. (laughs) It's hard to put all those articles in just a few sentences, but uh, it was a helpful practice. Thank you. That was helpful. Okay, we have now arrived at Article 9 of the Justification of Man, and here is a description of it. We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
by faith and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. Article 9, and just like Article 8, which is titled Free Will, but underneath that is Prevenient Grace, this one is titled Justification, but underneath that one powerfully is Faith. Faith, yeah. And and what this article um, basically points to, and the reason is so important, is so very important, is that it is there to tell us and remind us the presence of God is not earned. It is not achieved. It's not earned or achieved through our works. It's not earned or achieved through our ideas. Basically, what faith does is it invites us to become aware of a relationship with God that's always existed. And Jesus was sent into the world to, to prove that relationship with God is real and to prove God's love for us. And so I said it last week, this is maybe the most important idea to get because when God becomes an achievement, then we begin to do the comparison thing. And then we begin to treat others accordingly. And religion, rather than becoming helpful in establishing our connection with others, begins to become a hindrance to establishing that connection with others because again we're in a it's like a, a competition with each other when God becomes an achievement for us you opened your sermon last Sunday by saying something like this I'm paraphrasing you challenged uh, the congregation to take a minute and to think of someone who loves you unconditionally just as you are uh, someone who is fiercely for you. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to plant that thought into the mind of the uh, congregation? Well, I, I wanted to invite people to, to think about the practicality of this and how important it is because it is so important for people to have someone in their lives that is radically for them. And I think that radical love for us that sometimes happens through other people is a manifestation of the love of God that has been given to us, um, at least as we know it in Jesus Christ as well. We talked about definitions in the early part of your sermon, and you and you uh, you defined uh, justification or justifying grace or, or being justified in the traditional sense as being forgiven uh, of sins, of being accepted. And then you tried to put uh, a more current uh, language on it. You actually told a joke, uh, you know, about a rabbi and a priest and a Methodist pastor. And then you use that to say that being justified is uh, being able to find those rocks that are solid enough for us to stand on. It's the solid rock. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back to this idea that God's not earned. Um, when God is not earned, then we can have confidence in that God is with us and working with us. And that becomes the solid rock that we stand on. And that establishes, I'm going to call it a deeper sense of meaning that we lose without that idea of faith in our lives. And it's more than a transaction. I think that's kind of the traditional notion of it, is that uh, once you're justified is when you've accepted what God has done for us through Christ, and then that checks a box, and the transaction's been made, our ticket to heaven has been punched, and it just cannot be that and end there. Yeah, uh, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but transactional Christianity, it's just the worst. I, because basically, um, when salvation becomes about a transaction between a person and God, 
then like you said, you just check the box and it's about getting somewhere else, getting to heaven somewhere else. And we miss the transformational aspect that is, that is meant to be there. That is the point really of, of salvation. And Randy, just before this podcast, you and I were chit-chatting about the religious nuns in our society. and Not N-U-N-S. Yeah, not in, yeah, just just people walking away from the faith, and and one of the reasons why people walking away from institutional religion and especially Christianity in the Western world is what I'm going to call the performance gap, right? Like hypocrisy, <laughs> and and so that's what transactional Christianity lends itself to. Like it's about checking my box, getting my ideas about God right, and I'm going to heaven later rather than a, a radical transformation that happens as we interact with the living God. Yeah, and I was joking about the nuns, and you, of course, weren't talking about nuns, N-U-N-S, nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Those, when asked what their religious affiliation is, their answer is none. Yeah, and that's on the rise, especially for, for young people. Um, over at the University of Evansville, for example, a lot, of, a lot of students are starting to check that box. They're not affiliated, religiously speaking. And, uh, you know, we lament that in a sense, but then we also need to pay attention. Why is it that... Um, young people are not interested in what we have to offer right now. And I, I think it's because we've, in some sense, lost sight of what the point of the faith really is. As we were defining terms, you looked at the prior week and the, the prior sermon on prevenient grace, on, on free will. And the traditional definition of prevenient grace would be acknowledging that it's God that takes the first step. We call that the divine initiative. And then as you attempted to, as you always do, maybe to put some new language on it to help us understand it, you described prevenient grace as this, the, the experience of yearning for something more. There has to be more than this. Yeah. Um, and in the traditional world in which we get the word prevenient grace, and I call, when I'm saying traditional world here is what I mean is like the 1700s of John Wesley, um, prevenient grace was typically understood as like an overwhelming sense of guilt for one's sinfulness. like Conviction. Oh, gosh. Yeah, people would cry out in emotion at the revival meetings during the 1700s and roll out in the floor, literally. I, in Wesley's journal, even, he talked about people being rolled away in wagons, being, I think he said, like, quacking like geese or something like I mean, they were really distraught over their sinfulness. Now, here's the catch. We don't think of it that way anymore in the year uh, 2023. There's lots happened since the 1700s, and our worldview is different, understanding is different of, of what is important to us and all that kind of thing. Um, and so it's hard to understand prevenient grace now as an overwhelming sense of guilt. Instead, a helpful way to think about it is in terms of a yearning that we, I think everyone's really experiencing in our society today, a, a yearning for something more, a yearning for something bigger, uh, a, a yearning that really invites the question, surely there is more than this. And I, I would say that is the Spirit of God calling out to us or calling through us to enter into that that bigger truth and that greater whole that that really as we become alive to we begin to to live into the purpose of our creation 
I want to come back to that, but first, um, I want to talk about some of the passages that you used because, I mean, we just ground everything we do in, in Scripture. And so there was Romans 5, 1, which says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You get the word justified there in Romans 5, 1, and you get the word faith. And then Galatians 2, 16 says, Yet we know that a person is justified, not by the works of the law, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. Christ, and we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. Justified, 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 faith, faith, faith. Mm -hmm. And then what was particularly effective was uh, your retelling of the, the parable from the Gospel of Luke, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Why don't I just go ahead and read it? It's Luke 18, 9 to 14. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. That's just such a beautiful parable. I one of the best. Luke's parables are some of the best, and that's one of my favorite ones. Um, the The big idea with this particular passage, though, is that, and this is it should be, folks that are listening to this understand like, this should be wildly offensive to us. I mean, this parable because the Pharisee is a morally upright person, um, doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes, and they feel righteous. And like they've arrived because of those behaviors. And it's precisely because of that, that basically the Pharisee in this parable is the big sinner. And here the word sin, it's important to, I think, point out like is like missing the mark. The Pharisee's missing the mark, especially when it comes to his relationship with God. Because again, it's back to this idea. Um, the Pharisee thinks that God is earned mm -hmm. and he's operating by the performance principle. And that has now become, because of that performance principle, that, that achievement type of mindset has now become like a, a, a void or a gap between the Pharisee and God, but it also leads to a void and a gap towards others. Love is impossible because the Pharisee sees himself as a competitor to get to God and therefore is in competition with other people. It just, gosh, this parable is just perfect. It's just so perfect because, well... It challenges our Western mindset where we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we earn it. And that's just not how God works at all. I wanted to come back to what you discussed about the 1700s and people having this foreboding sense of their sin to the point where they would fall out and, and wail over it. And then you made the observation that that's, that's not the case today. We don't have that sense. We don't uh, concentrate on the wrath of, of God. And so 
um, that was an important thing to, to point out. And uh, I think that's what you do a really, really good job of is trying to make that application and make those translations. And but the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? It's that no, no, we're, we're not like just, you know, just falling out, you know, because of our, the awareness of our sin. But at the same time, we're not ignoring the problem. And as in a lot of things, the truth lies, the healthy truth lies somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, I mean, even though we're not responding like folks in the 1700s did, um, we're still struggling with very similar issues. Um, We're struggling to make sense of our lives and how they intersect with something bigger. We're struggling with um, what is that something bigger like? Um, we're searching and looking for meaning. I think that's the big one, really, in our society today. We have entered this season of kind of like this postmodern relativism and this ocean of meaninglessness now. And um, what it's lean, leading us to is, I think, rather than guilt, what we're experiencing is a sense of really, and I don't want to come across as a counselor here, because I'm not a counselor, but I I do think there's something to this. Um, What's happening in our society today is there's a sense of depression. There's a sense of anxiety. There's an overwhelming sense of isolation. You talk to people now, studies are showing again and again, they feel isolated more so than any other time. These are all spiritual problems and spiritual longings manifesting. And and no, I mean, we're not quacking like geese and getting rolled away in wagons anymore, but we're looking to the future, we're looking at our lives, and we're thinking, is there anything worth living for? And that's a manifestation of prevenient grace, and, and I think that could become the foundation of what could be a new revival that we really need as a society. Um, I'd be curious to hear what you think about that, Randy. But well, Yeah, I mean, you described the, the condition today, and it made me think about maybe that's the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, because that was one of uh, the emphases of John Wesley was to escape. Salvation was about escaping the wrath of God. Well, we don't like that language, mm-hmm. but if we see this depression and this anxiety in that light, that helps us come to terms with what's going on there. We might not put those words on it. Yeah, our lives are becoming heavier, to use an analogy. They're becoming heavier as we're out of tune with the greater life that is making us possible, making this world possible. They, it, it just, yeah, heavier is a good way to maybe think about it. And, and, and you're searching and looking and longing. And, it, and the thing is, you can't get out of it. Like you, it's not like you can shake it off. It's not like you can say, well, I'm going to make this go away. You can't. I mean, we try, and we scroll our social media, and a lot of people turn to substances to make that go away. And I think a lot of substance abuse, quite frankly, it is people trying to fill that that yearning, make it go away. And addictive behavior becomes a way to try to self-medicate ourselves and make that stop. And I mean... Interestingly enough, like if you look at the big book of AA, the one part that they emphasize is they need spiritual awakening to get out of that addictive process. It, it, Bill Wilson would say that, like, has to happen, has to happen. You have to find that bigger truth in your life to, to make the yearning stop. 
Uh, we're going to move here in a second to another, uh, not a redefinition, but a new way of looking at some of these things we've been looking at, like justification. And you talked about making that movement from achievement awareness, which you've already started to describe, to an awakened awareness. And this is part of the process that we of uh, justification in a way that we might understand it today. But I wanted to talk about this for a second because as I've been processing these articles as we've been going through, mm -hmm. you begin to see, especially if you're a Methodist, and I've been a Methodist now for longer than I was not a Methodist, um, any Methodist knows uh, a few things. They know about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and they know about the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation. And so salvation comes only by the grace of God, and through this Ordo Salutis we see the various ways that grace operates. And so last week we saw a prevenient grace, which is the first uh, expression of grace that, that's in that order. And then this week is uh, justifying grace, which is the second uh, expression of grace. And I thought, okay, so next will be sanctifying grace. Um, but it's not. And as I looked back on it, I found out that um, in these 25 articles, sanctification is not an article but the church added it later. So this may get maybe get a little too nerdy for the general audience, but I just thought that was interesting because you cling on to those things, right? Those things that you've been taught, you know, you know, you've heard these things preached or you've learned about them in a Sunday school class. And so they're in here. You just have to kind of look for them. Yeah, the, the language of sanctification is not used in the official 25 Articles of Religion, which you're right, that should be shocking to a Methodist because sanctification was a big... Um, big idea that promoted by John Wesley. In fact, he went as far to say that the reason that God raised up the people called Methodist was because of this idea of sanctification. Then you look in there and you're like, well, the word's not there. Yeah, the word's not there, but you'll find in this article that comes after justification, the idea is there. Yes. And good works, um, this ne the next article basically says good works naturally flow from the awakening to a relationship with God, or with God, a relationship with God, sorry. All right, very good. Yeah, let me just read that uh, because we're not going to come to it because it's not in the 25. Sanctification is the renewal of our fallen nature by the Holy Ghost received through faith in Jesus Christ, whose blood of atonement cleanseth from all sin, whereby we are not only delivered from the guilt of sin, but are washed from its pollution, saved from its power, and are enabled through grace to love God with all our hearts and to walk in his holy commandments blameless. Okay, we'll come to good works and a little bit of a preview in a minute, but I want to come back to what I thought was a very interesting treatment of justifying grace and, and justification. When you talked about Dr. Lisa Miller, a psychiatrist at Columbia, and this is where um, you got the idea of moving from achievement awareness to awakened awareness. Yeah, I find her understanding of what's needed in terms of spiritual awakening in our life is so very helpful. And it, it's just fascinating to me, Randy, but it fits almost perfectly with what we are talking about as Methodist and Wesleyan people, which to me, I think what happens when you have two things coming together in that way is that we're pointing to something quite universal here that we better pay attention to. So uh, just a quick a recap, achievement awareness is uh, this idea. It's this idea that it's up to us. Um, to make good things happen, to prevent bad things from happening um, in our lives. So it's up to us to make it happen, basically. 
Um, and what awakened awareness is, is, is basically it's the complete opposite. It basically says it's not necessarily up to us. It, we, awake, we awaken to life and we begin to realize that, hey, I'm a part of a bigger life that's loving and holding and embracing and guiding me. And so rather than trying to perform in the first sense um, and achieve, what we begin to do is we begin to respond to what life is showing us and what's happening in our world and in our lives. Um, it's just a much different way of going about our way of life. And, and I think that's what is happening in this idea of justification. I, um, when we become justified, we, we realize God loves me just as I am. And we begin to respond differently as a result of that. Here was another helpful way that you put it. You said, let's just lean into life and, and pay attention to the doors, the doors that are closing and the doors that are opening. And this has been a, a theme in your preaching for a while now that God happens in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the, it's the awareness. Mm -hmm. And we can think of a God that we have to bring in from somewhere else through our prayers. But this awakening, which is also part of prevenient grace, this awakening and this awareness lets us know that to think about God is to think about every aspect of our life and everyone else's life that we interact with. Yeah, it's like our lives are not a, a series of, our, well, think about this way, maybe our, it, what's happening in our life is just not a series of coincidences. Like there's something else happening under the, uh, behind the scenes and around the world that, that we're living in and, and in our lives. And what I would encourage people to do is, you know, when we start talking like this, I could see why someone would say, this just sounds crazy, I, you know, <laughs> but just try it on. Yeah. That's what I would suggest is try it on. Think about it. Like, think about what would happen and what happens when you say, what's life have to show me today? That person that showed up, that wasn't a coincidence. This intuition I'm feeling, maybe that's God saying something to me. Notice the difference. I mean, I know the difference in my own life when I'm in that framework. I'm not trying to measure up. I'm not trying to perform. I'm trying to be aware and awake and pay attention to what's happening. And one of the big shifts that happens is I begin to want what I have to do because I'm paying attention and I see, hey, I'm part of something bigger here. And I'm interacting with it, and it, gosh, it just makes all the difference in the world. And if you want to put a scripture on it, and I think that you could put any number of scriptures on it, but I think about Paul saying to pray without ceasing. I think there's a yeah. real connection to that because yeah. we go, how do you do that? How can you possibly pray without ceasing? It's the awareness. Yes, uh, yeah, it's the awareness. And, and it's not like you have to walk around thinking about God all day long. That. I wouldn't suggest that, um, but you try to be more aware and awake of what's happening around you, um, paying attention to what's going on, and and realizing that sometimes there's things that happen that are, they just, they're too perfect not to be a coincidence. And those become like the open doors that you can walk through. They can be like guides in which you find, hey, I'm, I'm actually being directed by a different power here mm -hmm. and and i mean i think deep down that's all what we're all kind of searching for and longing for and what miller is basically saying from a psychological perspective 
yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And and it can happen to you. And and you don't have to pray for like two hours a day to get there. You don't have to sit on a cushion and meditate forever and ever or any of that stuff. You just have to, what I would suggest, you just entertain the possibility and try it out. Here's where I think you could get some pushback. It could be, hey, Pastor Andy, please don't bring psychology into this. Please don't bring psychiatry into this. But where I've come in, in my own life is to say, if it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. If psychology can reveal truth about uh, human behavior, right. uh, if, if psychiatry can reveal truth about human uh, behavior or, or the mind or the body, that is God. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to go back to the Christian tradition, I think it was Thomas Aquinas who said, all truth is God's truth, period, wherever it comes from. And so if this can't be verified, these religious ideas cannot be verified with our own experiences and um, our own worldview now, our scientific worldview that we would use, then um, we're going to have a hard time getting any grounding in our culture. And honestly, what are we doing if we're just kind of imposing some like preconceived set of ideas upon someone? What are we doing then? Like, um, anyway, yeah, I, I know that I could get pushed back here, but um, this is right in line with the Methodist tradition. We say scripture, tradition, yes, we go there to find God's will for our lives, but we also say reason and experience. Um, if if those two don't come along with it, then we have problems. Mm-hmm. And and so what Miller does is take the reason and experience and brings it to life for us. And you're like, my gosh, this justification thing is real. It's yeah. it's important, and and it can happen in a moment, in an instant. And funny thing with John, go back to John Wesley. That's the way he talked about it too. Like you can be justified in a moment, in an instant, you can wake up to it, and then. At that same moment, in that same instant, it leads to a transformation in my life. And, and the way he talks about it is, and it's just beautiful the way Wesley would describe it. He says, the love of God in me produces love to all humankind. <laughs> like, I mean, if that's not what all of us are yearning for, I guess I'm just tuned out, you know. But I know deep down that's what we want. We want to love like that. Very good. Let's wrap this up just with uh, a little bitty preview of next Sunday. Article 10, we're already to 10, of good works. This is sanctification, right? Although good works, which are the fruits of faith and follow after justification, cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's judgment, yet are they pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and spring out of a true and lively faith insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree is discerned by its fruit. That's good. I, it's a good one. Yeah, and I mean, it's the James verse, you know, that gets quoted a lot. Faith without works is dead. When we really are engaged in what we're calling faith, it leads to a transformation of our lives. And, and again, it's not we're not that we're earning God here. We're not earning God's favor. We're not earning God's presence, anything like that at all. What we're doing, though, is we're moving with God's presence. We're responding to God's presence. Um, we're loving with God, maybe as a way to think about it. And the other term for that is just sanctification. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the faith has to lead to some sort of sense of difference in the way we interact and live our, our lives and organize our world as well. 
All right. Uh, very good, Pastor Andy. Now get busy, and I'll get busy. And uh, we want to thank all of you who are listening. We really, really do appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for your time and for your attention. Have a great week, and we will see you again next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.